Well, I want to continue in the Word, so don't put your Bible away. Just turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been in a series called The Fast Track to Divine Favor. We're trying to get more ideas from the Scriptures on how to get in a place where God will bless us. Everybody wants to be approved by God. Everyone wants God to smile on them. Everyone wants their household to be uh, blessed and God to be uh, shining over their lives and open heaven over their house. But how do we get there? And so the Beatitudes, Jesus in his beginning message to the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them, you want to be blessed? Here's how you live. Blessed, 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 blessed. We've gone through them all and we're coming to the last one today, persecuted. Now, lest you think that any strategic plan on my part or my calendar, you know, coordinated this day to be the day we preach on persecuted and the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I would just tell you it's not that way. Last weekend, was, I was supposed to preach on the persecuted, but the thing happened with Ted Haggard's church because we're connected there, so I had to talk about that. And, and, uh, and then we had the lection, and Kristen had a message, and so we, we just, per, we'll deal with persecuted later. And then yesterday, uh, we were praying for the services. We have our Saturday morning prayer meeting here for the services, and uh, uh, somebody said, you know, isn't tomorrow, I was telling them I'm preaching on persecuted this weekend, Sandy said, isn't tomorrow the international day of prayer for the persecuted church? And I'm like, you know, I've thought about it. If you, we always celebrate that day. We pray and co- coordinate with the churches worldwide on that day. But this year, got sort of sidetracked, and I thought, well, well, who knows what weekend it was. Well, she said it's this day. And so we stuck this in. Very important. We believe God set us up for this subject today. Very important. Keep this handy. There's space on the back for notes. There's going to be a lot, lot to download. But here, now listen. Jesus has got his followers up on the mountainside. And every one of us needs to go up on a mountain with the Lord Jesus on a regular basis and let him download into us kingdom thinking. And so that's what we're doing. We're at his feet, his disciples, on the mountain. He's speaking to us these messages on how to be blessed. Kristen said last week, listen to this, there's five ways that open, there's five things that create an open heaven. Five of them. I won't tell you what they all are. She got got into them last week. But the fifth one, the fifth thing that will cause an open heaven, persecution. Get it from that story Pastor Dennis read about Stephen being stoned, the first Christian martyr. And it says he looked up and the heavens opened and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And so the Beatitudes are all about the heaven opening, blessing flowing down. And the last one says, you want heaven to open? Persecution. You live a righteous life, you bump into the world, God will bless you. So that's where we are. Please turn there. Matthew 5, verse 10 and 11 and 12. Blessed, Jesus says, God will smile on you if you're this way, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is, everybody say is, is the kingdom of heaven. Now, all the other beatitudes except for the first one, had uh, like a promise or a reward in the future. They will be comforted. You know, they will see God. But th- this one and the first one, I mean, the promise is now. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Now, who he's, who's he talking to? He's talking to, look at verse 1. His disciples came to him. He's got these 12 guys. And he's telling them, you're going to go out from here and you're going to get resisted. But the blessing is going to come on that. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you now those are basically the two types of persecution Uh, one would be persecution by hand the other one would be persecution by tongue and and they're both 
going to come against the people of God. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. How are you going to respond to that? Well, here it says, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company. Let's pray. I pray, Father, for wisdom and understanding and revelation and insight into the Scripture this morning. I pray that your church will understand what is in store for them as they follow Jesus. That it is a narrow road. There will be few on it. And in fact, it will be difficult. And I pray, Lord God, that as we get into this word today there would be not a distraction that would keep us from the truth of application that you want for each one of us as we go out to be salt and light and influence our world i pray that we would not hear anything today and go oh my and put ourselves under a bushel basket with any fear oh god i pray that instead we would with courage go out into a place where we will receive even greater blessing from heaven i pray for that over every person who is here Every person, every person here is going to go out to Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe their family or friends is hostile to what they're doing, or what they believe, or how they voted. And a and, and, uh, couple weeks, God, we start to think, oh, i got to go. I pray, Lord God, we would find blessing and know how to respond as happy, healthy, healed, whole people. And indeed, we will be a light that points people to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Okay. Well, let's play a game. Let's play complete the sentence. Um, we need a few good. Be all that you can. The few, the proud. All right. Some of you have been a part of that elite bunch. How many of you? A couple, a few. Yeah, you bet. And who wouldn't want to be a part of such an elite fellowship, be associated with such good company? A number of years back, Kristen's cousin named David uh, wanted to be a part of the few in the elite. He's 18 years old, you know how it is, get out of high school and some recruiter comes over and shows you some paperwork and, and some brochures and your eyes light up and, and you could be a part of that team. And so this recruiter made some promises. You know the recruiters, they make some promises. Three promises to David, in fact. Said, actually, he didn't join the Marines, he joined the Navy. But he said three things to David. He said, you'll be stationed in Hawaii, you know, big eyes, you know. And you're going to be a large ship mechanic. And you're going to get a private room. And Well, he, he didn't get sent to Hawaii. He actually got sent to Bahrain, which is a war-torn country in the Arab Middle East. And he didn't exactly get to be a large ship mechanic. He, the true story, was the guy who made the wooden boxes that the army puts the flags in that gives to the widows of the soldiers and the sailors who die. That was his job. But he did get a private room that he had to share with 54 other privates, or whatever they're called uh, in, in the Navy. Now my point is this. There is a hidden cost to being associated with such good company. Now you think about the mother of James and John saw Jesus' greatness and thought, wow, if my two sons could be associated with him. And so she asked, she thought I'd ask the Lord Jesus, said, uh, grant that these two sons of mine may sit at your right and one at, the, uh, at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus uh, responded to her sons, actually, and said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup, say it, the cup I'm, ab I'm about to drink. And these guys, not knowing exactly what that was about, they're like, yeah, we can drink the cup that you're about to drink. And Jesus spoke the truth prophetically over him and said, you will indeed drink the cup. 
What cup's he talking about? Well, you know, uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's agonizing over what's ahead because he knows what's ahead. He knows it's a trial, it's a cross. And he says, Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken from me, lest I drink it, may your will be done. The cup is a cross. And my number one of five uh, points today is this. Uh, there is a hidden cost to be associated with such great company. There's a hidden cost. The company's the prophets, and I get that out of these passages in Matthew chapter 5, um, verse 12. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that, uh, that are before. You want to be associated with the greats and the heroes of the scripture, the people that God loves and forever remembers? Um, there's a cost that's that's a hidden cost to being associated with such great company. Now, unlike Kristen's cousin's experience with the military recruiter, when Jesus recruited his followers, which he did, you look in chapter 4, verse 18, where he just recruited them. When Jesus recruited, he was very upfront and straight with them about the fact that they would be persecuted. In fact, Here's his very first sermon. You've got a red letter edition Bible, you see it. He just recruits them, he sits them down on the mountainside, and he's not even through the first paragraph of his first teaching about what it's going to be like. And he says, hey, you guys are going to be persecuted. You're going to have to drink the cup. There is a cross. It will be difficult. There will be a narrow road when it comes to following me. He's very upfront with them about this detail. And the truth of the matter is, most of them would die on account of their relationship with the Lord Jesus. I, I have the list here. Let me just read it to you. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and afterwards crucified. Matthew was slain with a halberd. James, the son of Alphaeus, at the age of 94, was beaten and stoned by the Jews, and he finally had his brains dashed out with a, with a fuller's club. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified on a cross, the two ends fixed transversely in the ground, hence the term St. Andrew's Cross. Some of you know what that looks like. Mark, listen, dragged to pieces, listen, dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. Peter, not feeling worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus Christ, had his cross turned upside down. He was crucified upside down. You know Paul, he gave his neck to the sword. Jude, Bartholomew, Simon the Zealot, beaten and crucified. Thomas, thrust through with a spear. Luke, hung in an olive tree. <laughs> That's depressing, isn't it? But where does it say it'll be any different for anybody in this room? Find me the verse. You know, the Bible has spiritual gifts given to the church. You know, one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of martyrdom. You said, really? Yeah, well, I thought spiritual gifts are like the gift of mercy and the gift of health, the gift of prophecy and teaching. Well, the gift of martyrdom. The, the difference, I would suggest, between those gifts is martyrdom is a gift that you don't really know you have until, huh? You understand what I mean? Nobody really knows they have the gift of martyrdom until they use it. And it's actually not even funny to talk about, but it gets used every year, and I'll give you some numbers in just a moment. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy, I'll give you a lot of verses right small. There's a bunch to download today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Paul says, everyone, say that, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted. Everyone. And I, I have a point that fits under this. It's not worded great. It's questionably worded, actually. Number two is this. Everyone ought to be persecuted. I know that's worded probably in a not great way. But you understand my point? Everyone ought to be persecuted. If you're not, something's wrong with your light. It's like it's not on. I mean, how, how could you be one who is an ambassador of light and go into darkness without there being some kind of conflict between light and dark? There's something wrong if your light just sort of blends with darkness. Something's wrong. So everybody ought to be persecuted. We're into the last of these Beatitudes here, and I just want to read it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I do not believe that's a certain group of people. I believe that all eight of these Beatitudes are a comprehensive portrait of one follower of Christ who's at the same time all of these things. Meek, pure in heart, hungry and thirsty, merciful, persecuted. That's what's going on here. Luke has a version of the Beatitudes. Luke has a version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a little shorter version, a little different. Let me read you what Luke says about this Beatitude. Chapter 6 of Luke. Woe to you. That's what he says. Instead of blessed are you, he says woe. Woe to you when? When all men speak well of you. For that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And so there is a real sense that we could have great assurance that we are on the right track if indeed we're being resisted and ridiculed. We're in our eighth or ninth week in this Beatitudes, and I've said all along, these are a track into a place of divine favor. I've said that they're progressive. Each one of these builds on each other and adds to a comprehensive portrait. And what I'm trying to suggest to you this morning is that it's like Jesus is saying, if you've lived all of these ways, you're meek and you're merciful and you're making peace out in a world that's hostile to everything that we stand for, you will be persecuted. If you're like this, this will happen. That's why it's the last of these Beatitudes. I don't think they should be in any other order. I believe the order is very important here. I believe there's, this is a complete, uh, a complete portrait. But Jesus is saying, favor is poured out on the persecuted. If, if you live like this, you'll be persecuted, but know that God will smile over your life. And that ought to bring in some good assurance for us today. I really believe that. Now let me make some applications uh, for today. I want to suggest to you that I do not think we are doing anybody any favors in the American church when we make Christianity sound easier than it really is. I don't know what was said to you when you first accepted the Lord, but I, I would suggest that we're misleading people when we tell them, hey, just accept Christ and everything will get better. Now, I've used the tracks for years. Uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and I want to suggest to you that's true, but not wonderful in the sense of the pain-free, pleasureful sense. Are you following me? Lord has a wonderful plan for your life, but I just want to tell you, the Lord also says there's a high price to pay for being associated with Him. Do you know that last year, 109,500 people followed God's wonderful plan for their life and were killed? You say, really, Steve, 109,000 people have died since Jesus' day with regard to being persecuted for him. No, 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 not since Jesus' day. In 2005, 109,000 people on planet Earth died because they professed faith in Jesus Christ. We have it here on this sheet. Just read, read you this little pastor's story from Africa. I was using toilet paper to write verses of the Bible. Let me read that again. 
he, we, we people who have millions of Bibles, and oh, I forgot it today, the preacher will say something about it, and all we're here. Listen, he was writing passages of the Bible on toilet paper. Such was the value of, of it to him. He, he had to have it with him. It's all he had. And he, he sent them. Government agents searched and found verses and, that he sent the sisters on the toilet paper. They whipped me and beat me on the back of the head. Then they put me in one, a, one, a room one meter wide by two meters long. I was there for four years. Four years in a three-by-five cell, all because of the word of God. And I've met pastors who spoke out for Jesus Christ and spent 15 years in re-education camps. And I just want to tell you, uh, I, I know you have a personal story with regards to persecution. You can read the numbers here. 43 million Christians have become martyrs. 50% in the last century alone. 60% children. Uh, and, and, and you have your story. And I don't want to invalidate your story and say, yeah, that's not really persecution, because it is. It really is. But I do want before I get into the depth of the teaching on persecution, to, to help us put this into perspective, what we go through. It's not right what we go through. It's, it's not fun what we go through. But we need to keep it in perspective. A few years ago at our church, we passed out books uh, called The Heavenly Man. How many of you remember reading The Heavenly Man? We gave hundreds of these. And we all read them. We talked about them. It's a book by Brother Yun, an underground pastor in China, and what he went through. What he went through was horrific. And I remember reading this book, and I got done with it, and I looked at my wife and said, I will never whine again, which I broke like three weeks later when I was, whatever. Uh, why did I say that? Well, here's why. Because what we experience, I would just suggest to you, for our faith, isn't even remotely in the same categories as what's going on around the world. And that's why we're calling your attention to pray today on this International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church and to keep that in perspective. It's not getting easier in America. Uh, to be a Christian. Uh, a few weeks ago, there were some rallies, and one of the guys that came in is Dr. Rick Scarborough. Some of you might have heard him. He would come in to, to help us on our life issue here. Uh, but but uh, he, he had a conference earlier this spring called The War on Christians, or War on Christians. I have the brochure uh, up there. But basically, this was a conference that was talking about the increasing hostility toward Christianity in the United States of America. And some of you are up on this. You, you know about this. Well, I'll, just, I'll steal this from the brochure. The basis of the conference was that Christians in America today face a sustained, coordinated assault on their values and their rights. So they brought in some national speakers, and the press was there too. You know what the press said about what was going on at this conference? Here's a quote. Though everyone in the room claims to expect persecution, there is surprise and real anger when it actually happens. My friends, we ought not assume anything, expect anything, take anything for granted. It's coming. It's here. It's going to increase. The Lord Jesus said, be faithful. Don't, don't react. Just, just praise God and rejoice and be glad. This is what this says. And one of the speakers got onto that. And, and Gary Bauer, a number of you know who that is, and he addressed the group and he said, hey, just to put this in perspective, you want to know what a real war on Christians is? Try being a Christian in Sudan. Or try to be an unregistered Christian in China. And what he was saying to American Christians is, quit whining, folks. I mean, you've got to fight for your freedoms, but, but you, you need to keep this in perspective and not act like anything unusual or grossly unfair is happening uh, to you. This is what it's like to be a follower of Christ. 
this is like oil and water, the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world, and let's not, you know, like freak out and get mad at everybody about this. And this brings me to a very important point with regard to persecution, something to always keep in mind. And l- let me give it to you this way. It'll be a part of our third point. It is not about us. Did you hear me? It's not about us. And I want to say, really, it's not coming from them. Now, here's the third point. Uh, don't take persecution personal. Don't get all offended and change your friendships when somebody smacks around something you value and believe and all. Acknowledge the bigger battle and be faithful and loyal in a life-giving, Christ-loving presence in the midst of the whole day. Don't take it personal. That's what verse 11 is about. You look at Matthew 5, verse 11. Hey, there's a blessing that's coming upon you when, you when you're insulted, persecuted, and falsely said all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. You see that? Jesus is saying it's not about you. You've got to recognize it's, it's because of me. They're really persecuting Christ. They're really rejecting Christ. We've got to be aware of the bigger battle here. Pastor Dennis read the passage in Acts 8 where Saul was overseeing the death of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. This is Saul, the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul. He's there. And Paul didn't stop with the stoning of the the death of Stephen. He continued, the Bible says, to breathe out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went from town to town, making it miserable for people uh, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets on his way to a town called Damascus, and he had plans in his heart there. And the Lord Jesus got enough, and, and so he, uh, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. You know the story, bright light shines. What's the first thing out of Jesus' mouth when he appears to Paul? Paul's blinded, like, okay, now what? Jesus says, Saul, Saul, which is an expression of intimacy, by, by, by the way. Every time the Bible repeats a name, it's not because the guy stutters. It's because it's a Semitic expression of intimacy. Jesus is saying, I love you, Paul. Why do you what? Persecute. Me, and Paul might have thought, I don't know for a fact, but Paul might have thought, you, I'm persecuting them, and then it had to dawn on him. Oh yes, it isn't about them. What I'm coming against here is a bigger battle, and it's against the Lord Jesus himself, and and it hit him, and his life was forever changed to realize he was ultimately opposing Jesus. So I want to say to you, do not get into the thinking that it's about you. It's not about you. And I want to say, and it's not really coming from them. We have to have the heart of Jesus toward those who would persecute. Say, Saul, Saul. Those people who have a worldview that's antithetical to your worldview or my worldview, they are not the enemy. God loves them. He calls us to love them. Listen, he's not pronouncing his blessing in this beatitude on us going out and blowing them out of the water. All right, if they resist you, blow them up, and I'll bless that. That's not what this beatitude is blessing. His blessing is upon you get resisted for interacting in righteousness with the world. That's when the blessing will fall. If you get resisted for responding righteously in a world, that's what my blessing will fall on. I want to be really clear about this. Jesus did not have to hang on the cross five minutes longer for a gay activist or some leftist liberal or some abortionist. Did you hear me? He did not have to hang on the cross five minutes longer for any of that. Any more than he had to hang on the cross for you. Let me tell you how long he hung on the cross. He hung on the cross just long enough for the fullness of the Father's love to be expressed to every human being on planet Earth. And that's the Father's heart right now. 
is his love. Now, after this election, I got a lot of emails. You got a lot of emails. Everybody, you're reading stuff, wondering what people are thinking about this. People sent me stuff. I asked permission to share this with you. Somebody in our church, one of you, wrote me about what it was like to go to work on Wednesday. I just want to read the whole thing in its entirety. A proponent for the other side sits near me at work. This person attends a mainline church and volunteered for the Vote No on Six group. She came to work that morning and began discussing the election results with another like-minded co-worker. I couldn't take it. I got up and walked away for about 15 minutes just to get away from having to hear her. As I was walking away, I heard that still, small voice speak to me. Would you go back and just listen to her? If you listen, you will hear the heart of the Father. And so all day long, one by one, the like-minded showed up at her desk to discuss the election. I think I voted the exact opposite of what they voted on almost every box on the ballot sheet. But I learned that they think people like me are stupid. And I listened to it for eight hours today. And on my way home from work, I heard that still small voice again. Can you feel the ache growing? Can you feel the love for her growing? Will you allow your heart to ache for her? Will you have compassion for her? And I could really feel the Father's heart for her and her like-minded kin. And I suddenly stopped feeling miserable about the election results and felt consumed with love for the other side. My heart aches for anyone caught in deception. They're on to something, aren't they? They're on to something. Yesterday in that prayer meeting, I already mentioned, Kristen said somebody else sent her an email, said, you really need to read right now, a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23, about love your enemies. But read it in the message. Eugene Peterson's the message. So I want to read it to you. Just a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount. Same sermon. From the message. We have it up here. You're familiar, Jesus is speaking, with the old written law, love your friend. It's, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, Jesus says. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. And when someone gives you a hard time, when you're persecuted, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless the good, the bad, the nice, the nasty, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you that's an amen spot if I need to coach you I don't know how you're feeling after the election but I, I just want you to be very careful to not forfeit the blessing that's coming your way by blaming listen by blaming or bad mouthing anybody else you'll forfeit something here no matter how elections go on earth he is on his throne in heaven. Amen? And it's our job on earth to be very persistent in praying 
pulling down his will on earth as it is in heaven. We're not like uh, responsible for the results. We're, we're responsible for our faithfulness in pulling down his will on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that we've been faithful with that. And, and you, you have lots of people say, what, what are you thinking about the election? And, and the most interesting line I heard all week, one of you shared with me about the election, it's hard to put lipstick on a pig. I find that funny. Uh, but why, why would I say that here? Because righteousness was rejected. Righteousness was rejected. That's the bigger reality here. It remains that a mother's woman is, or a mother's womb is this, this uh, a mother's womb is the most dangerous place in America. It remains because number one cause of of uh, of death in America, abortion. Righteousness was rejected. What's the Lord thinking? Well, let me share with you what our friend Chuck Pierce uh, sent out regarding his uh, sense of God's speaking during this election and through this election. And some of you know him well and been with him multiple times, but these are his prophetic reflections as one who um, has been faithful to uh, discern the word of the Lord for the time and and speak his word. But just listen to this, because we think when we vote, we're like determining stuff. Really, the Lord was the one seeing something here. Ooh. He, he, Chuck said, the Lord is auditing the nation state by state. Auditing? What do you think of when you think of auditing? It's like, oh no. You know, how will I fare? What will that be like? But that's what Chuck's saying. The Lord is auditing the nation state by state and reviewing. Reviewing what? How the body is gathering and worshiping. Are we coming together, and is he the king when we get together? Or are we just kind of doing our own thing and serving other lesser lords in America? He's taking a census of where his people are and how they are standing. That's very interesting. Do not be like the unwise virgins and lose your expectation of what will happen in the days ahead. This unexpected delay such as in the state of South Dakota. And that, that's, that's interesting to me. He threw that in because this is all over America. This is national. This isn't like a letter to me or something. Um, this unexpected delay is what he calls this. Such as in the state of South Dakota will not phase those who are trimming their wicks and conserving their oil. Wait patiently and watch carefully for we are in the process of being trimmed. Persecution is like a trimming. I feel our political system is out of array with God's will for the land. That's his sense. May a Holy Spirit revolution begin and awaken God's kingdom plan and his people. Get this part. Hang on. The next two years will be like walking through a field of flying arrows. Is that a metaphor for persecution? Just let that go visual in your brain for a minute. Do a video clip of that. Walking through a field of flying arrows. Arrows. Now, you can do that on a personal level, and some of you have. You've stood up for your faith. You accepted the Lord Jesus. You lost some friends. We have some doctors in our church stood out on this issue. Lost patients. Uh, you, can, you can interpret this on a personal level, and that's perfectly applicable. But I would, I, when I read what Chuck's saying here, I, I'm thinking a little, little beyond that. What's ahead for the church that takes a stand in this nation on moral issues? What's ahead for those who march forward with the banner of righteousness all across this land. 
his sense is that it will be increasingly be like walking through a field of flying arrows. Now, for whatever reason, God has graced us with friendships with national church leaders. And so we've been able to talk a little bit about what's going on. And uh, some of these folks have been watching this for years, and they understand it. They know the players. They know what's been building here. Now, I'm going to venture into something you think I'm crossing lines on talking about candidates or Republican and Democrat. But again, I want to tell you that what we're talking about is just two conflicting worldviews, people who have a biblical worldview and people who don't have a biblical worldview. And some of what I'm going to say to you today comes out of people who are ministering in the city of Washington, D.C., like Bishop Harry Jackson, who has a predominantly Democrat crowd, but he's, he's noticed that there are people in America who absolutely hate righteousness and have a different agenda and have been sitting in the wings for 12 years because there's been opposition to their agenda, and their main opposition has been the church. And so what I'm about to say, I, I believe, is we're talking about walking through a field of flying arrows, um, transcends party lines. It's about the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. But, but some, some of the folks are saying, hey, just heads up, you know, since the, the shifting has happened with both houses of Congress, um, what does this mean? Well, it means that some of these people who've been waiting for years in the wings will now lash out at those who they view as their main opposition to everything that they wanted to push in the last few years. And who are those people? And they name them. They say religious, right, zealots, and extremists. And I, I uh, will name just a couple names here, which maybe make some people uncomfortable. We're talking about extremist, leftist, billionaires like a guy named George Soros who's been funding to the stream of billions causes that are opposed to everything we preach everything and even has an army waiting in the wings and and today rejoicing in the fact that some of those people can now take congressional committee chairmanships and have subpoena power to bring in congressional committees and and Everybody who's stood in their way. And, and I've been told that they have a list. And I don't want to cause fear or anything. It does cause fear. Because I, I, I've exposed myself to the Lord. And I don't worry about, you know, the IRS. Uh, you know, we have an auditor do our books every month. An outside auditor. Our, our, our church is the safest place in the city to give money. It is. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that, but I'm just telling you. Some, some of these guys have been saying, they say, and they have a list. Every, every church leader, every church, every ministry that has stuck their neck out against anything that these folks believe in is on a list. And the IRS audit is the last thing, is the least of their worries. And so we're going to see it. We're going to see it. These groups coming against, coming against people. There are people who want righteousness rid from the land. And so when I think of Chuck's word, it would be like walking through a field of flying arrows. What are we going to do? Run? You know? This says rejoice. Rejoice. Just take it. And, and do on, be honest before the Lord. And, and, and this says rejoice and be glad. Jesus said there'd be a cross. There'd be a cross. Let me explain the cross. Because we have some thinking about this that it's, that it's just like a religious thing. It's like a religious thing. Do you, do you know that uh, Jesus was not crucified for religious reasons? He wasn't crucified for starting a new religion. He was crucified for political reasons. I got a friend in New York City. He's named Joe Matera. We're going to bring him out here. I'll spare you his biography. It's very interesting and impressive. But he wrote a book called Ruling in the Gates. He's a very key man in New York City. Here's what he's talking about. He's about the cross 
of Jesus. Jesus wasn't crucified for religious reasons. He says the truth of the matter is that Roman culture was polytheistic. You know what that means? They worshiped many gods. They didn't care about another religion. Jesus was crucified and the early church was persecuted because the church, the early church, understood that the earth is the Lord's and that Jesus is king over all the rulers of the earth. The Sanhedrin wanted Jesus dead because he threatened their power base. Herod tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant because Jesus was born king of the Jews. And the present church, which is us, he says, acts as though Jesus is Lord only over, only over the church. My Bible clearly teaches he's the ruler of all the princes of the earth. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the only potentate. God is requiring all earthly laws and politicians to submit to his rule and reflect biblical principles of law for society and government. There's only one lawgiver and judge, James 4.12, and they must reflect this in their policies or they too will be judged. I'm having to restrain myself to not start preaching into salt and light. Because that's next. One of my favorite parts, not my favorite part, but one of them in the Sermon on the Mount. But let me just say this. You know the passage. Jesus said, hey, you're to be the salt of the earth. Not, not the salt of the sanctuary, but you can't go beyond these four walls. Jesus said you're to be the light of the Not just the light of your living room and you've got to keep it there because it's a personal private issue. You can't influence anybody else in your community. We've got to be faithful to the Lord Jesus and take this thing out because the, the, I, I believe that people are hungry for moral leadership. I've been telling pastors this as I've gone around the state. I look at them. I say, you know, there's going to be four people in the back of your church going like this and their giving is going to go down. There's going to be 40 people who write you a letter and thank you for being a moral leader. People need moral leadership. So I say let's, let's be a light in, in, a, in, a, in a dark place. Number four, as unpopular as it is, and will increasingly be, Christ calls us to be his righteous presence in society. I should make these points shorter, those of you who take notes. As unpopular as it is, and will increasingly be, Christ calls us to be his righteous presence in, in society. I, I've been telling pastors, listen now, somebody is going to set the moral agenda of this nation. Right? In electricity, if there's, if there's only a negative pole, all the ions are going to swim to the negative pole. If there's a positive pole, right? What we've had in America is we've not had a positive pole. And what we're saying is the church is the positive pole. We called it, you know, you know uh, anything other than that, uh, that's what we're called to be. The positive, the positive pole. M Minnesota, do you know this? Just elected the first Muslim to the U.S. Congress. It hardly made the news. The campaign, in part, funded by Hamas. I suggest it's just a shadow of the things to come. Just an observation. I don't see timidity coming out of the camp of Islam regarding their agenda. Huh? And, and, and I don't see timidity coming out of the scriptures regarding the church. Not at all. I see persecution, but I don't see timidity. But I want to be really clear now on the persecution. Um, the blessing falls on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay, so there's a lot of Christians who get persecuted for reasons other than righteousness. Some Christians just flat out obnoxious and offensive. Huh? They're in a drip of love of, the Jesus, love of Jesus in their heart. They love a good fight about Jesus ever more than they love Jesus. 
and then, and then they're ridiculed and exposed in the world. No, they deserve it. That's, there's no blessing on that. To quote a verse from a little later in the Sermon on the Mount, these are the kind of people, they point out a speck in somebody else's eye, all the while they got this big old log in their own eye. Nothing blessed about that. Some folks are persecuted because they're shabby Christians. Their walk does not match their talk. And I hate to say this, but even with regard to Ted Haggard, you know, we got it coming there, friends. There's a hypocrisy. And any persecution or ridicule that we take on behalf of that does not count. There's no blessing over that. Some Christians, and I'm restraining myself here with illustrations, but some Christians are persecuted just because they're strange. There's, some of us are weird, you know. And we, some of us hear Jesus' call to be different. It says, do not be like them in chapter 6, verse 8. Some of us hear Jesus' call to be different, and we, we just interpret that as a stamp of, of approval on our oddity. Jesus didn't say be dorky. He said be different, you know. <laughs> I am holding back my illustrations. You know, I could be talking about Christian TV. I could be talking, should, should I stop? I'll stop. The persecution that's blessed is, is a persecution for righteousness' sake. Let me just say, you will stand out enough without being weird. You know, he said it's a wide and narrow road. There are going to be very few on the narrow road. Everybody else is going to be on the wide road, and they're going to be saying, hey, you're on the wrong track. You, you will stand out. You don't need to ask for it. But when did God ever say, you know, we'd be a majority? Um, or when did he ever use you know, the majority. I believe what God has done is he's produced a righteous remnant in the earth, and that's what he's working on. He even used this boat to bring a righteous remnant out. And other people uh, have taken note. I believe that we have stood out. I believe that we have been faithful. And others have taken note. You want to hear what one of the blogs said about us? I asked Kristen, should I even read this? And, and she said, hey, it's Persecution Sunday. Just talk about it. Here's what one of the bloggers said about us. Church at the gate. Now that, that is pretty clear that's us, okay? <laughs> church at the gate, now here's not funny, is no different than the Christian Identity Church, Westboro Baptist Church. Now that's Fred Phelps' church down at Topeka, Kansas. The guy who goes out to all the funerals of the dead soldiers and says, puts his banners out, God hates fags. I reject his work. I reject everything that he's thinking. It's so off, it's off. But, but all of a sudden, church at the gate, no different than Westboro Baptist or the KKK in their radical extremism. I have no hate for Christians. I have disgust for fundamentalist, hate-mongering extremists who use God's word as an excuse for their political agenda, in essence, misusing God as a weapon of terror. I am here to make sure you do not get away with your radical lying attempt at enslaving and controlling others into your extremist hate cult. Wow. That's what they say. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely, say falsely, falsely. say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I had you say falsely because this is so not true of us. There's a totally different flow here. I've been called the church feminist before because the women have so much freedom here. We're, we're, not in, we're a welcoming place. You can come in here broken. People have said, what's the deal with that church at the gate? It's full of prodigals. Yeah, yeah. No high and mighty here. Wear what you want. Come in, find the grace of the Lord Jesus. One beggar for another beggar. 
telling where we found bread. That's so false. But this is point five. They may frown upon you. The world may frown upon you. But God smiles. But God smiles. You know my friend Joseph Thompson? A lot of you know him. He's been here multiple times. He's my six-foot-three, really dark-skinned African uh, from uh, Nigeria, but he's got a perfect English accent, preacher. <laughs> and uh, when he sees these blogs, or, you know, I, I shoot him and say, hey, look what they're saying. Um, here's what I get on the phone. Stephen, you know, uh, <laughs> I am so proud to think that you have come against the devil such. This is clearly an evidence that you are indeed a voice for the Lord in that region. I mean, he just like, he's just like happy about this thing. And I don't, you know, like say I'm the voice for the region or something, but it's like, it's a little confirmation. The Lord just wants me to rejoice and be glad. Huh? We're in good company with the prophets. But it, but, but it doesn't say glory in it, right? It doesn't say seek the suffering and the slander and, and savor it and make it your badge of honor. Look at us, how hated we are. It, it, we should never have that posture or that heart. It hurts when people say stuff about you. People say stuff about me. You, you, you tell me that. People you, you talk to, you have to defend us at different times. We stuck our knock out, neck out. You know, it hurts. I'm like, sorry, you had to defend us. Um, it's tough. People talk. You know, when our, first, uh, when our church first started to get graced by the Holy Spirit and good things started happening, we had people be healed, this church started to come alive and stand out and... and in new ways. You know, even, even other Christians that we, we love in the city begin to say stuff, you know. And it just, it, you know, I kind of had to mature into it a little bit. It's still growing, but the, it's like the, you know, uh, I, I just had to shake my head. You know, these, these people, they've never met me. They've never heard me speak. They've never darkened the door of the church, and yet they're believers, and they can spread discord in the city about, about us. And it just it makes, it makes me scratch my head. We had somebody leave uh, after the service. I preached this last night. came up to me and said, Pastor Steve, you know, when we first started coming here, uh, yeah, uh, somebody, somebody came up to us and told us, church at the gate. Better not drink the Kool-Aid there. And, and my, my thought was, who are these people? And, and, and do they have any idea that one of the seven things the Bible says the Lord hates is those who stir up dissension among the brothers? And I'm like, Lord, why don't you ever give me an opportunity to like show them in the scripture that it is a sin to say something about me without first talking to me? Lord, give me an opportunity sometime just to say you know, something. But, but the Lord says, zip it. Or you lose the blessing. Just lose, you lose the blessing. And, and you know, you, you have discernment. I feel like the Lord said, you know, you can, you can tell who's been in the prayer closet with me and who hasn't. Because you don't get that kind of comment toward another Christian coming out of a prayer closet. It just reveals hearts. It just reveals hearts. And so the Lord says, zip it. And I, I want to just say loud and clear, I'm not above a critique, man. I can give you a list. My wife can give you, you know, a spiral bound. Uh, <laughs> And we're growing and we're working. And I believe that I am the one who's grown the most in the last 12 years at this church. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just believe I am. Just because the growth curve's been huge. It's been a blessing and all, and all, all of that. But what I want to say is 95% of this stuff is just totally false. It's totally false. And 
I'll close with this. There's two things that have been shared with me that I've kept close these last few years as we stick our neck out and continue to stand for righteousness. Somebody gave me a quote out of Rick Warren. Now, a lot of us have respect for Rick Warren. He wrote Purpose Driven Church. Been with him a couple times. Just not up close, but, you know, been, been there to sit, on, sit at his feet. Um, so I respect him a lot. But he, he wrote this. I want, I want to share it with you. He says, when you're small, they'll dismiss you. When you're growing, they'll criticize you. And when you're large, they'll resent you. So ignore them and get on with whatever God has told you to do. Amen. So I put that underneath the glass on my desk. Oh, yeah. Get on with whatever God has told you to do. The best piece of advice anybody ever gave me as, we, um, as the opposition has come against us is just get in Psalm 64. Stay hidden in God. Shut your mouth and pray Psalm 64. I commend it to every single one of you going into Thanksgiving or if anybody's being persecuted for their faith in the Lord Jesus, just read Psalm 64. Stay in it. Pray in it. Kristen and I have prayed it hundreds of times. Psalm 64. Listen to it. Lord, protect my life from the threat of the enemy. It's often not a substantial attack. It's just a threat. It's just noise. Hide me, Lord, from the conspiracy of the wicked. They sharpen their tongue like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows. Listen to this part. They shoot from ambush at the innocent man. And I don't want to say I'm innocent. I don't want to say I'm blameless. I don't want to say there's nothing to critique in me. Please don't hear that. But I want to emphasize the ambush part. They stay hidden. They stay concealed. They set their traps in secret, that psalm says. You, you try to figure out who a blogger is. Somebody says something against us, or you say, well, who said that? Well, I can't say. i got to keep a confidence. It's like, how can a person staying in darkness shine any kind of light on me? They, they, they shoot their arrows from ambush, but God will shoot them with arrows. Suddenly they'll be struck down. There's going to be a shift, my friends. Just wait for the shift. Don't try to push it. Don't try to speak it, and you'll lose your blessing. Just rejoice and be glad. Stay faithful to the call. There'll be a shift. Lord's will deal with it. He says, turn his own tongues against them, bring them to ruin. All who see them shake their heads and swear. It's all going to shift if you, don't, if you don't push it. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you for faithfulness of your church. I thank you for these beatitudes. I pray that we would be people who embrace the cup, the cross, uh, gracefully. I pray that we would not be filled with bitterness or think it's personal, or, but we would just count it a joy to have fellowship with suffering, uh, the persecuted, and, and really to link up in the spirit and pray. I pray for that. I pray that love would emanate out of us. And I just thank you, you know, as the, as the, as the, as the you know, somebody steps on that grape, the wine comes out, Lord. And, and this, is really, this is really what we see when we come into communion, God. We have here the symbols of suffering of the Lord Jesus. This is our example, Lord. I pray that you would fill us up with this example. We want more of Christ in us. When we, when we take communion this morning, we say, yes, Lord Jesus. I say yes on a dotted line to whatever you would have for me. Thank you, Lord. Fill me up to empty me out. Fill me up to empty me out. I thank you for your church this morning. Thank you. I pray there would be a righteous voice. I just can't wait till next weekend we talk about salt and light. I want to influence the decay, Lord. That's what I want to do. Thank you for the call. In Jesus' name, amen.